Jeremy and Chris are awesome. Um, we first, first kind of got to know each other through kingdom, through Mark teaching us about kingdom and understand what, what kingdom meant and what that meant to us and the reality of it in our lives. And then I was like, man, Jeremy gets, gets this kingdom stuff like, man, this is awesome. So we've had some really good conversations. But, uh, but anyway, he's just like family to us, man. We just love you guys, and we're just thankful that you're here. Um, I know Jeremy's going to bring a good word tonight. So without further ado, this is Mr. Jeremy Thrash. Also, also my kids, my kids want you to rap for everybody this time, not just them. So when you get done, if you got something okay. off the dome, okay. freestyle. Look at him, put me on the spot. No pressure. <laughs> Pure grace. How y'all doing tonight? Look what grace has brought us. God's grace is so good. Grace has brought us here tonight. I know it's not, I don't know about anybody else, but I know that it's nothing but the grace of God that I get to stand before you tonight and that I get to share and talk to other people about Jesus, talk to other people about the kingdom of God. So, I, I, you know, I just want to take a moment, first of all, just to let's, let's thank Pastor Justin for giving us this opportunity to just fellowship tonight and come together for one purpose, and that's to, you know... Uh, Come together as the body of Christ, amen, and to receive what the Lord has for us throughout these sessions. Also, I just want to honor my wife, the lovely Crystal, our three kids, please pray for us, <laughs> please, um, but let's all stand before we get started, let's all stand. The eternal Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity just to gather together in your name, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for just being who you are. Lord, we just thank you for uh, just thinking of us in this particular time in which you have allowed us to live on the earth, Lord. And we just thank you for the deposit that everybody has. And we just thank you that this is a season uh, a release right now, Lord. We thank you that this is a season of deliverance, a season of liberation right now, Lord. And we just thank you that uh, whatever you have planned for us tonight and for the remainder of this conference, that your will be done. We release ourselves to you. Uh, I release myself to you tonight. Holy Spirit, please use me as your willing vessel to speak to your people. Uh, we ask that our hearts and minds be clear to receive this seed, Lord, and may it just grow and um cultivate inside of everybody's heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Let's first, let's, let's do this. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at verse 13. Matthew 16 and 13. You got to say amen. amen. Let me do something. Can you get this, Crystal? All right. It says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea uh, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? Uh, I want to ask a question. Are we in an age where the church is irrelevant? Perhaps there may be people within the church that, feel, that, that has a feeling that they're culturally irrelevant. Uh, so I'm going to write these questions down. Is the church culturally irrelevant? That's question number one. Is the church culturally irrelevant? 
how can the church be culturally relevant? Matter of fact, should the church even be culturally relevant? Amen? I read this article, uh, and it said that, and I, and I don't know if you're like me, but I take like, statistics with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I read this article, I just want to share it anyway, but I read this article that said that 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out. It said that only two out of 10 Americans under 30 believe attending church is important. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance. They believe that the church does more harm than good. And it also said that millennials are the least likely age group of anyone to attend church. The millennials, generation-wide, the age group uh, is from, I believe, 18 to 35, since they reported in 2012. If that's you tonight, let me get you to stand. If you're between the age group of 18 through 35, let me get you to stand. Looks like we can defeat them all us tonight. Y'all give yourself a hand. Um, living in a day where uh, low numbers of youth who became and remain active members of the church after college and after adulthood, uh, some people start beginning to ask themselves, is church irrelevant? When we, are, when we ask, uh, are we culturally relevant, I want to ask you, does that mean that are we culturally sensitive? Are we culturally engaged? In an age where society uh, is defining hate as you disagreeing with my choice, uh, how do we position ourselves, here's a question, how do we position ourselves as gatekeepers of influence without compromising? How do we impact culture without dishonoring grace? How do we disciple nations without damaging the reputation of holiness? There was a pastor named Pastor Dwight Moody. He said this. He said, in the earth, uh, the boat belongs in the water. But if the water gets in the boat, it sinks. It's an important principle that we find in this statement. There are some who believe that we can further extend the church's purpose in this world by becoming more relevant. There's others who argue that uh, such efforts will actually water down the gospel and subvert our mission. So I want to ask you, what's the move? Do we colonize or do we isolate? Uh, do we infiltrate or do we just quarantine ourselves from being exposed to, to this infectious disease of a sinful world? Well, Jesus said this statement. He said that the kingdom of God is like yeast. Amen? He said, the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in 60 pounds of flour until it worked its way through the dough. So without a shadow of a doubt, we as the church have been commissioned to permeate culture. Amen? But how do we do that? What does that look like? Amen? First thing first, write this down. Being relevant is not a cold word for compromise. Hallelujah. What makes a church relevant? That's what I began to ask myself. What, what makes a church relevant? And it's crazy that when God began to speak to me about this, I just began, it's like my radar went off, and I just began to hear uh, more and more people talking about it. Even on social media, more and more people on my timeline was talking about this thing. I woke up one morning, and I asked my wife, and as soon as she get on Facebook, somebody's talking about it, word for word, what me and her just got finished talking about. First off, let me say this when we ask, is the church relevant? We serve a generation of God, amen? We don't serve just the God of Abraham. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's three generations. We serve a generation of God. That means we serve the God of the traditionalists. We serve a God of the baby boomers. We serve a God of Generation X. We serve the God of the millennials. 
We serve the God of Generation Z. Amen? And he is the same God yesterday and today and forever. Our God transcends being relevant because he exists outside of both space and time. Amen? Is the church relevant? Ask your neighbor that. Is the church relevant? I think a better question to ask, are you relevant? (laughs) We have to to understand the identity of the church. The church is not this building. The church is a community of believers. It's the body of Christ. Amen? And so I have to ask this question. How well are we engaging with others? Are we sensitive uh, to their needs? Amen? Are we tactful and responsive to the concerns? Are we tactful and responsive to their questions, to their worries? What do we have to offer? Matter of fact, let's personalize that. What do I have to offer? What has God given me to offer? That's a good question to write down. How are we, matter of fact, how are we even defining relevant? I think that's a good place to start because sometimes uh, things get mistranslated because of our relationships with certain words. So uh, let's do this. Let's define uh, relevant. Relevant is defined as appropriate to the current time, period, and circumstances. Can we agree on that definition? And so that leads me here, that a relevant church, I want you to write this down, a relevant church must be one that carries an Issachar anointing, an Issachar anointing. We, we read about that in First Chronicles. Uh, the Bible says that the tribe of Issachar, they understood the times, and they knew what Israel should do. Uh, the sons of Issachar, they were uh, sensitive to Kairos moments. They were attuned to the spiritual climate of a particular area, oh, excuse me, era. So are you up to date on what is going on, or have you sheltered yourself within the confines of your own little universe? And before we defend ourselves uh, with that excuse to stay secluded in this little bubble, let me remind you that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Amen? So what purpose is a lamp under a basket? Write this down. Relevance is based on the important concept of common ground. Relevance is based on the important concept of common ground. Without some form of common ground between people, there is no foundation for communication. There is no foundation for relationship. Common ground serves as a starting point from which we can begin to experience and make sense of this world together. Amen? Common ground closes the gap between us and them. By establishing common ground with non-believers, We can begin to look toward God with them as we reflect God to them. Let's take a look at the the book of Acts. I want us to look at a picture, a a portrait of the early church. Because I just truly believe that uh, if we're going to have an understanding of the vision for the church, where we need to go, we need to first have an understanding of its origin, of its history. Amen? Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had, say that with me, everything 
in common. Y'all see it? So let's look at these four elements that we've seen displayed in the uh, early church. One, apostolic teaching. And when I say apostolic, I don't mean a denomination. When we, when we, think of, when we uh, hear the word apostolic, we need to understand that, that it is a, that's an anointing. That's a mantle. That's an office. Amen? Two, fellowship. I cannot stress enough how important relationships are with millennials. Three, breaking bread. Breaking bread to me can be twofold. Breaking bread could be we're sitting down and we're having lunch. We're actually eating together. Or breaking bread in the form of an economic exchange. Amen? And I truly believe that as the church of the 21st century, that there should be some circulation of finances between us. Amen? To where uh, we don't even have to just beg the world for crumbs. Amen? If we begin to form a, a networking system with each other, then we can form our own infrastructure. Amen? For prayer. Prayer. See, the thing about it is, these four things are, the, are, are four of the main things that people that's in this age group are looking for. Amen? 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number. Who added to their number? The Lord. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, see, look, I don't believe the question of is church relevant is the issue. I believe we are in a day and age where a troubled generation is demanding a better portrait of the church. They're demanding a better brand of leadership. Amen? Millennials aren't looking for a church that looks like the world. They are looking for a church that demonstrates the solutions to the problems that they experience in the world. They are looking for a community, a fellowship that is family-oriented. Amen? I remember I was listening to this, this pastor of a mega church, and he was saying how he left the mega church, and one of the reasons why is because he had a young man that was out in the streets, and he came in, and um, he gave his life to the Lord, and after a couple seasons, he noticed that his attendance was, was low. So he actually saw him outside the church and asked, where have you been? I ain't seen you in a minute. And he said, well, I, I just got lost. You know, I didn't, I didn't know where my position was. I didn't feel like I was involved. I didn't feel like I was important. It was too much going on. And he said that, he felt more of a family while he was out there in a game than he felt in the church. That's sad that gangs have more of a family atmosphere than certain churches do. So when I heard that, I was like, man, I have to make sure that, that as a youth pastor that we give attention to every single person that walked through those doors because you never know uh, what that situation is. And I've been in ministry long enough to know that it's, it can be some kids that, that's, that's that age. I had a kid that was like in kindergarten, and he, his mom came up to me, and she's like, can you pray with my son? And I'm thinking, no, he's probably having trouble at school, or he's probably talking back, doing something kids do. So when I got in the room, I said, man, what's the issue? What's going on? And he's pretty much talking to me like he's a 35-year-old man. He's having suicidal issues at five or six years old. And that was one of the first times in ministry where I was, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I just said, man, let's pray. Can I pray with you? You know, so we can't, we can't judge a, 
a, a book by its cover. Amen? We have to be sensitive. Write this down. Because this is what millennials are looking for. They are looking for a church with a vision that threatens the status quo. A church with a vision that threatens the status quo. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, coming up. Millennials are not looking to be entertained. They are looking to, well, rather they are looking to be enlightened and empowered. Amen. When millennials say be relevant, they don't mean do your best imitation on what's popular in culture. But rather this means engage them with prevalent messages that, that's modern, that's current. Uh, messages that speaks to what they are facing. Messages that speaks to them where they are. Um, you, you, you have topics such as purpose, uh, relationships, marriage, sex, body image, education. These are topics that they are starving for. Uh, you have to keep in mind that what may be controversial to you is relevant to them. Amen? They want real talk, not story time. I did something uh, a couple months ago. I actually got up and didn't prepare anything to say. I just wanted to hear from them. Like, where are y'all? Uh, uh, what has God been speaking to y'all about? Uh, what are some things that you feel like that's keeping you disinterested when you come here? Keeping you not being involved or plugging all the way in? What are some things that you would like uh, for us to even talk about when we're in here? And one of, one of the main topics was body image, which kind of shocked me. Because I just knew they would want me to talk about relationships and love and stuff like that. But it was body image. But that body image was like one of the last things that I probably would have had on my radar to speak to them about on a Sunday morning. So, you, you, you know, uh, they love that. They, they love those think tank sessions. Um, and I think it's good that we kind of deprogram from being so programmed with programs. <laughs> that we get outside the box sometimes. Amen? And, and I, love, I love the atmosphere when I come in here because I feel an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is in control. Where if, if Holy Spirit said it, then Justin would say, uh, you're not preaching tonight, Jeremy. This is what we're going to do. And I'd be like... <laughs> um, millennials are looking for a church that not only demands them to listen, but one that listens back. You have to understand that, yes, young people are, they, they do value influential voices, but they also value influential ears. That's attractive. Amen? And if you're going, uh, you're going to be a, a, a blame society for the downfall, or blame culture for the uh, downfall of society, if you're going to be one of those type of ministries, then don't be a pot calling the kettle black ministry. Amen? Relevance. Relevance. Write this down. Relevance demonstrates that we can speak their language. Relevance uh, demonstrates that we can speak their language. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying, that you have to speak today's slang and stuff like that. That is not what I'm saying. Again, one more time, do not do your best interpretation or imitation on what's popular in culture. Be yourself. Because I'm, I'm still, you know, in my mind, I'm still young. I'm 30. But I'm not trying to learn what 18-year-olds is talking about today. I'm not trying to learn the slang because the slang, they switch slang more than they switch their draws. <laughs> when you cannot speak, Watch this. When you cannot speak a given people's language, you can only talk at them and not with them. It's certain terms like being born again or being baptized in the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. These, these uh, phrases that we have have no internal significance with them because they have no reference point. Uh, so we, you know, consider the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. When he was talking about being born again, went straight over Nicodemus' head. 
Acts chapter, we, we still in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Verse 3. Watch this. I'm talking about language. It said, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. Now, there were dwelling, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at the sound, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? So what is God doing right here? The day of Pentecost was really a reversal of what happened at Babel. Amen? The gift of tongues symbolizes the fact that Holy Spirit reversed the disunity of Babel and united all peoples and united all languages. Hallelujah. Why would God equip them with such a power? I'll tell you. So they can engage with outside cultures. And you have to believe that the same Holy Spirit that empowered them also empowers you to speak the language of other cultures. With Holy Spirit, we have been gifted with a diverse vernacular. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 says that, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. God is going to give you, write this down, God is going to give you the vocabulary of where he's calling you. Yeah, there is a language of heaven. But there also are many different languages on earth. And if you know like I know, you can speak the same language and not the same dialect. So what better way to increase our impact than by communicating who we are uh, 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 through various dialects to modern culture? We can even look at the ministry of Paul. Matter of fact, let's go there. Uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's look at Paul's approach to ministry. Because I believe there's a profound wisdom in that. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. You got to say amen. You don't say hold on. I don't want to leave nobody. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 20. This is Paul. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Do y'all see this? I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul understood the power of common ground. His willingness, his readiness to be adaptable gave him the ability to empathize with the people that he came in contact with. Write this down. A relevant ministry is a selfless ministry. Paul was willing to uh, uh, drop being himself so that he can uh, uh, be able to increase his influence. Sometimes it's not enough just to uh, present your experience with God. Sometimes it's not enough just to share, and I'm telling you off, of, uh, off experience myself, sometimes it's not enough just to share your testimony. You have to 
represent or represent God by displaying the character that make his heart more tangible to a lost world. Because the kingdom of God is not just in communication, but demonstration. Amen? Watch this. Paul, many times, Paul would even do this. Paul would even quote famous uh, Greek poets and philosophers. Uh, this would be equivalent today to uh, probably quoting a popular song that's out there or using a movie reference. All the things that's shaping the minds of today. Amen? Plato. Plato. How many of y'all know who Plato is? Plato said, now if death is like this, I say that to die's game. Paul remixed it, turned around and said, but for me to live is Christ and to die's gain. Amen? Do y'all remember the scripture in Acts chapter 17 where he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a wisdom to that. Paul had a method to his madness. Paul definitely knew how to leverage the culture for Christ. Here he is. He's in Athens in, in, in Acts chapter 17. And he's distressed over the city's uh, idols. And he finds this unique way to capture the attention of the people by speaking their own language. Amen. He goes on to quote uh, uh, another Greek poet, another Greek philosopher, uh, that not only showing that he was familiar with the popular Greek culture, but he also was open-minded enough to use anything he could to tell people about Jesus. In verse 32 and verse 34, we see that some people actually believe and they join Paul. Amen? This is what we call uh, uh, apostolic leveraging of the culture. And um, in order to appreciate that, in order to even employ that, uh, we have to repent from this religious touch-not-taste-not theology that that many of us have adopted. Uh, Sometimes we get, uh, we try to mix new wine in old wineskin, and we have this, oh, touch-not-taste-not. If I touch the unclean thing, then I'm going to become unclean. But that's for those that's under the law. For us that's under grace, God has given us a power through the Holy Spirit to where when we touch an unclean thing, maybe it's somebody that's sick. We're not going to become sick, but whether we're going to transmit the power of the Holy Spirit and bring healing to that body. Amen? So we have to remember what our identity is in Christ if we're going to actually operate with the faith to be able to transform this world. Amen? Hallelujah. What I'm looking like on time. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to take up too much of y'all time. But I do want to share with you, uh, and it's probably going to be the last thing that I'm going to talk about. I do want to share with you guys two main things that I know that's hindering the church. Can I do that? Number one, please write this down. I have been discipling college kids uh, since for the last two or three years. And one of the things that I've discovered is majority of them actually grew up in the church. When I met them, they wasn't going to church. And when I asked them what happened with you and your relationship with God, they all gave me the the same answer. And that answer is the first the first the first thing that's on my list that I'm going to share with you, and that's religion. Religion. Lord, I hate the spirit of religion. Because it was religion that also made me distance myself from God. God is looking for a church that know how to engage with people in real time, in real life. We are a generation, we are in a generation that loves Jesus. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we have an interest in Jesus, but we hate institutional, institutionalized religion. Many churches 
are still preaching this self-interpreted, tradition-taught, legalistic doctrine that has lost its touch of relevancy. Teachings that make uh, make his listeners feel disconnected. Teachings that usher in the spirit of legalism. Teachings that seek to condemn as it triggers the flesh, as it arouses the flesh by the law now being awakened in our consciousness. Teachings that places a veil on Christ. Teachings that promote earth going to heaven but never heaven coming to earth. Teachings that omit Jesus' main message and that's the gospel of the kingdom. Religious churches are ones that fail to adapt. If you want to, I heard my, my, my dad say this. Uh, I went to go with him. He went to a church on Sunday, and he made this statement. He said, if you want to keep missing God, keep doing today what God is finished with yesterday. Repeat after me. Say, tomorrow is not an extension of yesterday. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every day you got fresh grace. You, 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 don't, you, don't have to, you ain't got to, you ain't like your phone bill. You ain't got rollover grace. <laughs> you have fresh grace. You have fresh wine. You have fresh oil. Every day, if God didn't have something new for you in today, then why would he give it to us? Amen? See, the truth is, I'm skipping. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Mark chapter 7, verse 13, it says that you have made, your traditions have made the word of God of none effect. The question is not, is the church relevant? Jesus already answered that when he said that the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen? The question is, is the model we're using outdated? Your willingness to adapt will determine whether your ministry will become a movement or a museum. It will determine whether uh, you experience expansion or experience extinction. Amen? See, the truth is we have a culture to counteract the ones that's currently on earth. The issue is, which one will we manifest? If we go with religion, we will display this westernized America, American church culture. But what happens when we find out that today's generation wants nothing to do with churchianity? So that's when we move on to God's original intent. His eternal order, which is the kingdom of God which is our mission, which is our mandate, which is our message. Amen. When we tap into the revelation that Jesus is a Messiah, that Jesus is an anointed king, that he's the Christ, and he brought back a kingdom, then we understand that we are dealing with a government of heaven on earth, not a religious institution. Therefore, it should not be hard to discover that all kingdoms manifest themselves through culture. Culture speaks to a collective perspective. Culture speaks to how we deal effectively with something. And with the culture of heaven, we are now under the grace of God to freely explore the world's systems and cultures, infiltrating it with our own. This is the process that we call colonization. Now, the qualities that makes up a culture can now be demonstrated through us in the marketplace. It can now be demonstrated through us in the secular arena. Amen. We are now able to speak our dialect because cultures are identified by a lot of different elements. One of them is language. We're able to speak our dialect, which is our heavenly language. Amen. We're able to tell them about our history. We're able to display our arts through praise and worship. Amen? We're able to display our fashion, which uh, just doesn't cover the, the fleshly man, but the spirit man. Being clothed with the robe of righteousness, putting on our uh, uh, helmet of salvation, or your snapback of salvation. <laughs> you wearing your belt of truth, 
Amen. We're able to share our food. We don't just serve. There's some of us that just don't know how to throw down in the kitchen. We know how to serve spiritual food, too. Amen. We know how to uh, 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 give you fresh manna from heaven. We know how to give you uh, milk and meat and strong meat and honey, which is pure revelation from the Father. And most importantly, we are able to expose our values. I cannot express to you how important when it comes to people adopting into a culture, how subconsciously they take on their value system. Amen? And when it comes to our values, we are a culture of forgiveness. We value forgiveness. We are a culture of of holiness. We are a culture of unity. We are a culture of worship. We are a culture of humility. Amen? Religion does not give us the blueprint for that. Only in the kingdom can we impact the territory of earth with God's will, his intent and purpose, producing the citizenry, reflecting the culture and the nature of the king. Hallelujah. Number two, this is the second thing. I've been in ministry for 10 years now, about 10 years. Nine. Thank you. That's why you might help me. <laughs> been in ministry for about nine years. Um, and these are majority of the things that, that God has allowed me to see. So I am sharing with you uh, my experiences. Uh, number two. Number one was what? Religion. Number two, watch this, is race. Race. That's, that's one of the things that's hindering the church. For one, race was invented by man. Amen? Race is a fallacy. It's a false ideology that has, in my personal opinion, created many uh, unnecessary social realities. Race has created many, uh, 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 for one, People of a particular group may feel that their portrayal or influence of one individual will be detrimental to the perspective of how others view them as a people. That's inequality. To know that someone else's image or actions, watch this, can reflect or shape others' presumptions about who you are is unfair, to say the least. Amen? See, I'm confused because we say... uh, I hear this all the time on social media. We say that we want equality, but everyone keep avoiding the obvious, which is drop the label. Stop believing in the concept of race. You know there's a problem, and and this really irks my nerves, but you know there is a problem when there's young people in my age group, people of color, that don't want to know who God is, uh, the God, they don't want to know the God of the Bible because someone has told them that the Bible is the white man's religion. So I began to ask myself, how did the white man become so demonized in the eyes of young people of color? The same way that to some people, uh, 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 some white people, that people like myself, may be criminalized in their eyes. And that's the media. Amen? We have to keep in mind that uh, the world that we live in, uh, we live in a world where Satan is controlling media, and the media is using race to present their news, which is really gossip, because they know we perceive things from this fabricated vantage point. Only problem is many of us cannot accurately explain our entire process for arrival at our conclusions due to the fact that how we think have been wired by those who possess the resources to will culture. It's divide and conquer. Keeping us divided by the labels we wear so we never come together and produce the change that's necessary. I've seen a perfect 
illustration of that. It was someone that wrote a six on the ground, right? And you had somebody standing on this side and then someone standing on that side of it, and they just sitting there arguing. He's saying, this is a six, and this person's saying, it's a nine. And they're just arguing back and forth because they're seeing it from their vantage point. So neither side is really wrong, right? Y'all see it? I feel like that is the perfect illustration of how we have entered into this world. We've entered into this world, and we've allowed the world to give us labels that we identify ourselves with, and it shifts our perspective. And I believe this is the same deception that Satan has used since the Garden of Eden. Because when Adam and Eve, they knew that they were naked, but they was not ashamed prior to eating the fruit. But once they ate the fruit, the Bible says their eyes were open. That means their perception was shifted, and they began to recognize their nakedness, and they became ashamed. That's because they identified themselves through their flesh and not their spirits. What if I told you that there is one scripture in the Bible that debunks the whole concept of race? Let's go there. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Acts have been our best friend tonight. And see, this is why uh, engaging in relationships is so important. I actually had people, young men, strangers, I don't even know who they are, try to argue me down that the white man is the devil. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know, and I began to personally think of people such as Pastor Justin, who I'm in a relationship with. Amen? And like, that's not a reality. That's your opinion. That's your, and, and, and matter of fact, it's not even your opinion. It's, somebody, it's what somebody else done told you. Amen? Because in my personal life, I done had more people such as myself do more wrong to me. So if I had to gauge it from that carnal perspective, then I would say the black man is the devil. But it's foolishness, man. That's, that's what it is at the end of the day. It's foolishness. And as the church, I feel like we have the responsibility to pioneer a move that the world can't get past. Amen? Watch this. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, And have made of one blood all nations of men for, for, for to dwell on all the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and, their, and the bounds of their habitation. Please write this down right here. The kingdom of God is not a multi-ethnic nation. The kingdom of God is not a multi-ethnic nation. The kingdom of God is a uni-ethnic nation. Amen? And yeah, I believe I did make the word uni-ethnic up. <laughs> but all I'm saying is it's one people. It's unity and diversity. Amen? Galatians chapter 3 verse 20, 28 says this, There is neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 10 verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Second Corinthians 5 and 16. Oh, yes, I'm finna murder this spirit tonight. For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to their flesh. King James put it like this. No, no man after the flesh. That's a worldly point of view. Amen? So if I'm gonna know you for real, I'm gonna know you by your spirit. Watch this. This the one that just shut it all down. Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn it if you want to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. This one blessed my socks off when I, last time I read it. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who have made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Listen, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you can go and shout on that. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, in God's eyes, there are really only two nations that exist on earth. The wicked and the righteous. The citizens of the kingdom of darkness and citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You are either the offspring of Adam or the offspring of the Messiah. Amen? Amen. Let's talk about origin. Origin is defined as the point or place where something begins. Amen? The nations of every people is, is said to be traced back to Noah. It says in Genesis chapter 10, verse 32, that these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Okay, so we see here that the nations are extensions of families, which are identified as clans, which is a community of ancestry. They're identified by their, not only their clan, but they're identified by their language. They're identified by the land that they occupy. Amen? But my question is, when it comes to identifying one's nationality, why do we as human beings stop at the sons of Noah? The fact that the Bible refers to them as sons indicates that they are not the source or sustainer. Abba, father. Amen? It is not sons, but fathers that signifies origin. And as we know, these three sons who make up the nations of the earth all share the same father, who also was a son, who had a father, who had a father, and so forth and so on. So if we're going to pinpoint our true roots, we cannot stop at a particular branch on the tree. As we see race doesn't exist in heaven. And isn't our prayer that our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. How? As it is in heaven. Race don't exist in heaven. Therefore, this topic is out of place. This conversation doesn't even exist in heaven because it has no foundation in which it can stand on. So how come this is still an issue among us? And yes, America may have this unspoken understanding uh, that state-ordered segregation has been rightly being eliminated. But you know, just like I know, that voluntary separation is acceptable, natural, and sometimes even preferable. Different ethnic groups come in contact in the world, yet we still seem to live and recreate apart. I have attended schools of both mixed and predominantly uh, black, and the dominant pattern of socialization was that blacks hung with blacks and whites hung with whites. And even look at some of our churches. They reflect the conformity of this pseudo-integration. We have predominantly white congregations. We have predominantly black congregations. And if we love the same God, why don't we worship together? If we are one heavenly family of God, why are we yet divided by these empty labels? And if you are asking, I am telling you, that is one of the main reasons why many millennials are dropping out of church. If our actions don't display the scriptures, not only do we lose our influence, not only do we lose our voice, but we look like hypocrites before God. Matter of fact, we show God that we truly don't really love him because we're not truly following his commands. We should be pioneering 
a kingdom display of unity. We should be pioneering a kingdom display of oneness, a community of believers that stand together and move together. It's easy to say amen to this, but if you, are you really going to put forth an effort toward solving this issue? We have no business criticizing the world's performance when we too share their same prejudiced spirit. We have allowed media to shape and color our perspectives. We are allowing a, 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 a systematic uh, racist label for us to put demands on our character because we are employed by it. But my question to you is, where are the Hebrew boys who refuse to worship the false idols set up by the wicked kings when the music starts? Where are the Daniels who refuse to abandon their intimate relationship with the father just to be politically correct? Where are the Esthers who, who, who will use their influence to upset genocidal agendas of corrupt men? Amen. And I'm here to tell you that if that's not the church that we're going to be, then we will be irrelevant. And we hesitate. Some of us, we hesitate and we operate under a spirit of rage. We operate under a spirit of fear because our perspectives are governed by the labels that we are wearing. I'm black. I'm white, I'm Democrat, I'm Republican, I'm conservative, I'm liberal, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist, I'm Catholic, I'm American, I'm Mexican, I'm Russian. But where are the true matriarchs and patriarchs of the kingdom? Let's stop being passive saints. Let's stop being intimidated by this. Let's stop being inferior-minded. Let us stop being divided by race. Let us stop being divided by class. Let us stop being divided by denomination. Amen? Because we cannot be participating with the same spirits that we are praying against on Sunday. In the kingdom of God, there is no hierarchy. There's only hierarchy. You see what I did right there? Air. All of us are heirs. Amen. All of us are sons. Amen. You can't, repeat after me, you can't be a product of heaven when a worldly brand. That's a conflict of interest, ain't it? That's false advertisement. James, now I'm going to end it off with this. James uh, 2 and 9 says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And I'm here to stand before you tonight to tell you that this sanctuary should not look like Babel. Amen? So, to conclude, for me, Relevant speaks to influence. So let's do this. Say, I have influence. Come on, say that with, with your spirit. Say, I have influence. Second thing you need to understand is that your influence matters. But to increase the impact of your influence, you need to put yourself in environments, in environments that sharpen your mind and will inspire you on a regular basis. The church is always relevant. The church cannot not be relevant. When you speak about the church as an institution or a structure or, or the methodology or organization, yeah, sometimes it can get a little fuzzy. Uh, if we're asking how successful the church is, and that was an interview that they did in the U.S. where they interviewed a, a, a few thousand pastors and asked them, is your church successful? Majority of them said yes. Then the follow-up question to that is, how do you measure success? And through the survey, they found that there are five dominant measures used to determine success. One was attendance. Two was budget. Three was programs. Four was staff. And five was square footage. And even though these are some wonderful things, uh, there's only one problem with these measures. Jesus didn't die for those. Amen? Jesus didn't die to fill the seats in the sanctuary. Jesus didn't die uh, so that your ministry can meet his budget and, you know, fill collection plates. He didn't die so that we can host events. He didn't die so that we can have the biggest staff. He didn't die so that we can expand on property and build facilities. It's not relevant to Jesus, it's not relevant to his agenda, and it's not relevant to this lost generation.
So when we focus on the things that are in our heart of where Jesus is, that, ladies and gentlemen, is when we, become, when we will become relevant. Amen? I thank you all for allowing me to share what God put in my spirit to share with you guys. I pray that you receive it in your spirit. I love you all. And until we meet again, peace and blessings.